everybody. I'm Adam Hergenrother. This is Business Meets Spirituality, where we believe in personal growth through business success. I'm joined by my chief of staff, Hallie Warner. Good morning, Hallie. Hello. Today we are uh, going to be talking since we did just come up on a wonderful anniversary. Um, not together, but together. <laughs> Our anniversary. A work anniversary. Work anniversary, yes, for 10 years, which is pretty remarkable. And actually, one of the emails you even said, you said, you know, I don't always stop to kind of. Uh, appreciate you know all the things that you know we've accomplished and things and it was kind of a you know whether you hit 40 or 10 years in a job you kind of stop and pause and kind of look back on those things mm-hmm. so it's pretty interesting to go through that trilogy but what is what is you know a lot of people have the question for us is like how do you create your relationship or how do you um, you know build a long-standing relationship with a force multiplier so what is it first of all what does a long-standing relationship mean to you 10 years 10 years. Well, you know what I, yeah. and, and you can, and one of the things that I, that Ray Dalio said, which I love, um, and it kind of leads into this, but he said, don't hire people just to fit the first job they will do hire people you want to share your life with. And a lot of people may hear that and go like, share my life with them. They're thinking that maybe that's like a personal thing. I mm-hmm. think when you look at sharing your life with your employees is, I mean, think about how much time you spend with people exactly at work. And it doesn't mean you have to have the same political views or the same views that you're doing, but you're going to be spending a lot of time with them. That's why when people refer to as make sure that they're, we were just having this conversation around employees and they said, make sure they're a cultural fit first. Well, I guess the first thing you would do is you want to make sure that they actually have the skill set to do it. And then immediately next to that is like, Hey, are they a cultural fit? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but if they're not a cultural fit to basically share your life with them, that's what I think he means by that. Right. Yes. It's defining like, you're going to be sharing a whole aspect of your being with them. You're going to be on a personal growth journey. You're going to be on a a financial journey. You're going to be on a ups and downs journey throughout business building. You better be wanting to share that life with them. Yeah. And I think it's particularly true, at least I think it is for entrepreneurial organizations where, I mean, you don't even know what you're doing half the time and you're just kind of making shit up as you go. Um, So having people that you can count on and rely on and trust and have those higher level conversations, but also just have real and honest conversations, I think is really important. Yeah. So what does it mean to, um, to you to have, um, or what does it mean to have a 10 year relationship? Like, what does that, what does that look like for you? What are things that you've yeah. learned during the 10 years? Yeah. I guess that, that'd be a better question <laughs> to question. ask, right? Is yeah. if you're an audience member listening, like what have you learned over the 10 years? Where'd you start? Where we are now? Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting for that. Um, the quote that you just read about don't hire people just to fit the job that they will do. I mean, 10 years ago, that's yeah. what we did. Yes. We didn't know any differently. And how old um, is Ray Dalio now? What? I don't know. 70 almost. Yeah. And yeah. he's so now he saying of, it. So he's yes, saying it. A lot of wisdom. Yes, and, exactly. Um, and experience. In, but now I would say the same thing, yes. right? But when we, when I was originally hired, you were just like, okay, great. Yeah, I think she awesome. can do the yes. job. Yeah. Cool. Um, but that's not how we hire anymore. And we've learned all of that over the, I think collectively over the past 10 years, we've learned a lot. And still learning every day, right? Yes. I mean, isn't wisdom, you know, wisdom is applying something, a model or a system before you actually have actually experienced it yourself. Right. Cause once you experience it, your own wisdom, but if you're taking somebody else's wisdom, it means that you necessarily haven't experienced it yourself or to a lesser degree you've experienced. So mm-hmm. then you're listening to somebody before you've actually done it. Right. And, or you've done a, a smaller scale of that. And so I think when you, when people hear that, that's why I said, you know, what have you learned? So people building their organization and are striving for a relationship to have, you know, a force multiplier to have their, their, you know, executive listening to like, how does that relationship, what have you learned during those 10 years? Yeah. I mean, I've learned, I've learned a lot. I mean, a lot of the things that I've learned are just very personal, like personal mm-hmm. growth related items. 
Um, the podcast is called uh, Business <laughs> Meets Spirituality. Exactly. I know. Um, and really a lot of this, I think for me, came together a really a lot in the past like three or four years specifically after I took a little break <laughs> and left for a little while, um, like for 30 days. But um, okay, so there's lots of different things I learned. One of the things was to uh, let go of the outcome. Mm-hmm. That's so what does that been mean a big you? one. Um, that one was, was a more recent occurrence. <laughs> Um, I think for me, that means trusting in what I know, what I'm capable of, who we've hired and who we have around us, um, trusting in the vision, knowing where we're going, making sure we have, you know, clear goals and objectives and, and not lowering our standards or expectations around them. However, being also being okay with whatever may come, knowing that we'll be able to handle whatever happens. That's exactly. what it, that's what it is yes. for me. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I think of the same thing as letting go of the outcome is, is kind of how you phrased it. Whereas you get very clear on the result, you get very clear on where you want to go. You set a direction for you or for your team, you're organizing people better in a more efficient manner. You're moving after that. And then you kind of let go of the outcome. Right. Right. As you let go of the outcome, you may have to adjust, but if you're so tied up to the outcome, you may not see that you're supposed to take a right because you're not, you're not allowing you're, you're getting clear on where you're going, but you're also allowing the fluidity of the moment. Yeah. And, and a, a little bit more specific to me and my, in my role and for any of the uh, executive assistants or chiefs of staff or force multipliers who are listening to this, a lot of it for me was letting go of my need to control everything and letting go of the outcome that maybe thing, uh, maybe there would be a mistake or maybe there would be something that wasn't perfect or my absolute best work that I've ever done. But um, letting go of some of that outcome in the, um, for the sake of the growth of the organization or for the sake of moving forward. So what are things that you do every day to work on letting go? Because it's not just like one moment you just said, oh, I'm just, I'm good. I'm going to let things go because that is, I think a lot of people would love to be able to let some of that control go CEOs or executives or executive assistants. Right. I think just everybody would love to be in a situation where they're able to let those things go. Well, I don't really have a great practice for it, but more for me, it's the first is just really being hyper aware of it when, because you can feel it when it's, when, uh, especially when things aren't going well, you I get really like even more controlling. Um, so being really aware of it and then, and what I do is I just talk to myself yeah, and really basically talk yourself down and say, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. We know where we're going. Things will be fine. Does this really matter? Is this the most important thing to be focused on right now? Really, I just talk to myself. Yeah. Talk myself awesome. through it. Awesome. But being aware of it, I think, is the first. Yes, it is. Step. It's being aware. Because once you're aware, you can be aware that you're aware. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I will say that part of the reason I'm able to do that, I think, is because of your leadership. And this is for the leaders on the call. Being, um, It's probably that you also let go of the outcome so that you allow your team and, and your staff members to make those mistakes. And you really show the way on that, which has then allowed us to do. The same. You've made a mistake before, Hallie? <laughs> not a whole, not a lot, but a couple. Yes, yeah, definitely yes. a few. Yes. Um, yeah. Some are more high impact than others, but yes. Yeah. Well, I think it just as that when you, when people talk about radical conversations, just the, the conversation that's circulating in boardrooms now, or, or just any entrepreneur or businesses, I want to have these conversations. I want to be open to a majority of them, at least in our culture. And I think people are welcoming that is you as the leader, whether you're the, the executive, whether you're executive assistant or the CEO of the organization or a manager of, of a division, you have to be willing to let go of the outcome. You have to be showing 
people get confused with leadership. It's leadership isn't doing somebody's job, but it's showing the principles that you want them to embody Mm -hmm. within the organization. And so leadership isn't about people feel that leadership equates to me having to do their job so that I can do it better than them. Or, or sometimes having done it or even having done it before and been like the best at it. Yes. You don't need to No, Like you've never done my job. No. And I was terrible at it. (laughs) I was going to say you've never even well, maybe it. when I did like the maybe first couple the weeks, like yeah. I did like something along those lines, but then Probably. I figured out a way to leverage it, but I was yeah. terrible at it. And, and, and you recognize that. And, and I never thought less of you as a leader for not having been in my position before. Yeah. Right. No. But yeah, but it's, it's interesting that some leaders really do think that. Well, they, they think it because they think they need to be good at everything that happens in an organization. That's how they prove their worth. Mm. That's, that's not the truth. How you prove your worth is by growing the organization, leading it, mm-hmm. right? And as, as these things happen, one of our, you know, mentors who, who, you know, I followed for a lot and has helped me a lot, just recently made an upward m- movement in his organization, right? Of just saying, I need to get back to seeing the bigger picture instead of doing in the world. And one of the ahas that I had from that, I was actually talking with somebody else about it, was a lot of times when people jump back into a particular position or they start seeing something that's happening in their business, when they start applying the doing into it, you start to see all the things that you would personally do different. doesn't mean it's wrong how they're doing it. You just see all the holes that happen in it. So then you want to clean them all up. But so when you get start going down one rabbit hole, it's like all of a sudden you're seven feet down there and you go, I have to clean all this up. I can't do anything. And I'm supposed to do over here. You get so overwhelmed instead of going, okay, if you doing all that, let's just say you made it better. Let's say you made it better by 5%. Mm-hmm. Fine. You've made it better by 5%. But what if you took that same amount of time and you went and did something that made the organization 150% better? So whereas you actually didn't get involved in seeing it as much and you're actually able to lead through people. So then you could take your energy and grow the organization exponential rate by being able to whatever that means for you and your role. And I think that's just the trade off that people need to see as they feel like they're doing something that's improving. And the reality is it probably is. It is probably making it better, but at what, at what cost? At what, how much more do you need to get? You spending 20 more hours to get 1% or you can spend 20 hours to get 50% over here. That was actually how expansion came about for us. Right. When we started, you know, really expanding 10 years ago, nine years ago was the question was, sure, we're number one here in this marketplace. And sure, could we get more? Probably. But how much more, how much more income could we really extract out of this hundred, two, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 more right, of this one market, of this right. one market, instead of going out there and expanding and extracting three, four, five million out of that. And so it's just where you choose to place your energy and, and, and where you're going with it, because we can all get sucked into parts of the doing part of the job. And if we get sucked into that, we will naturally see what we want to see and how if we feel it should be doing better when the reality is, is if there's really not a, pro- if there's a problem, that's different. If there's a problem and there's not, results aren't showing up, you can break it down, look into micromanage. You can feel like yourself getting next to you and there may be a people problem. That's different. Mm-hmm. But if things are running 80, 90% smooth, right? Well, if they're hitting the, res- if they're hitting the results. results. Yes, exactly. That, that you've set up monthly to do that. Does it really matter how they're getting there? Ethically. No, as long as they're ethically getting right, there, right. then they're just hitting the results. Do you think that that applies to mo- uh, business owners, visionary leaders, founders, or I'm just thinking of more of like operational divisional leaders yeah. who may um, like a, C- a COO or a CEO who are leaders, but may actually be running the day to day. So how, where's the difference? Well, you can, you can be running the day to day. It still doesn't mean you have to be in the day to day of somebody else's business. So you running, you, you have your, you may have your day-to-day actions that you are still doing, which you should be doing the way that you should be doing them in the most efficient way. But when you get involved in somebody else's doing, that's what I was talking about leadership. If, if okay. somebody, if, if Hallie's doing something, I'm not in there trying to make Hallie's job 
you know, do Hallie's job for her or make it better telling her how to do these things. Yes. And so when you talk about letting go and you said you'd learn from the leadership, it's just when I think about that is I let go of like, Hallie knows this a lot better than I do. I want, I don't even want to think anything of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's, is. It, I mean, it, I mean, it's not like I, I woke up one day and just decided that it was more of a natural pulse. I just never really wanted to do any job. And so I just, yeah. it, to me, I went out there and hired people faster and people are like, well, how'd you give that up? And I, we get that question a lot. Like, how does Adam give that up? And it's like, you're like, well, I don't know. I have an answer because he just gave it up. And, and the truth is I just always wanted to give it up. Right. I had and, never had this pull to stay in it. Right. And you were willing to invest money into yes. people who would, which sometimes was really painful. Yes. So invest money into people in order to not have to do it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I would, in the beginning, we've, we've talked about this before in the podcast and, and in the beginning, I, I, I thought if I invested in the people, I would get time. Mm-hmm. And that, and that was actually more important to me. I was like, I'd rather make less money and just have time. And I think most people would make that trade off, right? If they're like, Hey, as long I as I can know. maintain, well, if and I can a maintain certain a certain level, level yes. so there was a foundation level of right. income, but anything after that, I was like, I just don't want a piece of the job. But then what I realized when you actually started making really good hires, you'd get both, you get money right. and time back. Right. And so then I was like, well, then it started really clicking for me. You know, what was that? Eight, nine years ago, seven years ago of like, wow, then I'm just going to go all in on these relationships about mm-hmm. being in, go back to Ray Dalio's quote, being in a relationship with people who want to be in a relationship with you for life, right. whether that's expansion, whether that's, you know, a COO or, or chief of staff or whoever that is. I mean, you're, you're looking at people that want to be in a relationship with you life because you share a same set of principles for growth. And if that ever changes people, then that's fine too. Mm-hmm. But it's at that moment, you're sharing it as best as you can and you're pushing as far as you can. One of the, one of the many things I've learned over the past 10 years is that, um, well, I always thought I was like, I'm an executive assistant and I am like badass administrator and you know, all, all of that stuff, which I did for a while. Yes, you were a badass. Um, Still however, are, just definitely. yeah, definitely. Yeah. But what I, what has been a huge aha for me personally over the past couple of years has been that I'm actually much more like you than I am like a awesome executive assistant. That doesn't mean that I can't do those things, but um, naturally I actually don't want to do anything Mm -hmm. either unless it's like in my little scope of organizing, communicating and delegating Mm -hmm. that we've discussed. Um, But uh, yeah, like that's been a, that's been huge for me. And I too feel like if, um, if I have to get in and do something, I would rather take a pay cut mm-hmm. or, well, you've actually said that to me yes, before. I, would, I know. <laughs> Cause I just really want like, to, if, if we can't yeah. make this higher then I will take, I will give some of my own money or right. profits that I'm getting and give it back to make this higher. And we've seen Correct. that with, with multiple people, leaders in our company have actually said that to us. And, and we can think of it, you know, another one who just, who literally just the same thing. Yes. I, yeah, I would just, yeah, you just got like, yeah. they're like, I will go hire this person and I don't want any money from you because I know how much of an impact it's going to make. Right. And, and I know that actually has happened in many companies. It's not yeah. just ours because they see it and they don't go have it and they're willing to invest their own dollars. And then ultimately what happens is usually the company says, well, okay, you're proving it. Then fine. I'm going to go help you out here. But it's just the fact that you're willing to go that far, mm-hmm. right. Of saying, I, I'm, I'm willing to invest into that. You know, you, you skipped over something you said, communicating, delegating, and leading, you know, part of your organizing. organizing, Yeah. Um, as the, those kind of core principles. So what do you do on a daily basis? I think that's a good question. Such a good question. Sometimes I don't know. Yes. Um, I do, I am in a lot of meetings, but they're all important and impactful. Um, similar to your week, my entire Monday is either company meetings or one-on-one meetings with direct reports, HR, our director of marketing, um, our assistant, 
um, the new the new leader of a new company that we just started. Um, eventually, that probably will go to somebody else. But that's my entire Monday doing check ins with our various companies and our team members. Um, so I do I spend a lot of time doing that. Um, spend a lot of time interviewing. Um, and I spend a lot of my week on some coaching, some coaching calls, and then um, con- a lot of content, mm-hmm. writing, creating content, whether that's training, articles, interviews. Um, the other part of my week is spent um, networking for not necessarily for talent, but sometimes it can be for talent, but really more for opportunities. Um, is that a podcast that we need to be on? Is that there an opportunity for us to align with somebody um, and get our training on their platform to get more exposure for us. Um, sometimes it's just random talent meetings. Like I'm like, hmm, maybe in the, f- like I talked to this guy last week who is this tech guy. And I'm like, maybe there's a place for him in our SaaS company. Mm-hmm. And so just, I spent a lot of time just like keeping my eyes and ears open for opportunities for us to continue to grow. Um, and then I do end up reviewing a lot of our team members work. If it's a pu- specifically, if it's public facing, mm-hmm. Like, is this email really the one that needs to go out or is this really the direction we're going in on X, Y, Z, or now we're going to go look at this new PR campaign for our foundation. So I do, I do spend quite a bit of time, like Mm -hmm. just reviewing and guiding our team. Yes. Yes. So that's really what my week consists of. So what does a normal day look like for you? And do a little bit of prep for you on, on occasion. What does it, what does a day look like for you? A day in life, not just at work. (laughs) Oh God. Um, well, I don't have much of a life outside of work, but that's my choice. Um, right now, it's always it's always been a little different over the past ten years. But right now, um, it is. I mean, I really get up. I as soon as I get up, I'm pretty much on my phone, uh, rightly or wrongly. But I usually read uh, Morning Brew. I go through all of my e- my emails, mm-hmm. your emails, just getting a level set for the day. Sometimes I'm sending myself emails and notes. Um, I, us- I really do have my best ideas in the morning. So I, I do l- often like to get right into work. Um, I also want to get right into working out. So I have to I often have to choose between <laughs> the two and work usually wins out. Um, but I am realizing that also. So I'm feeling like I might need to just, you know, bite the bolt and say workouts have to happen in the afternoon yeah. because I do my better thinking in the yeah. morning. I'm more creative in the morning. Um, all the connections usually between different companies and things that need to happen, happen in the morning. So that's what I do before. I, get, I think it's important yeah. that, you know, I want, one of the reasons I already knew what you do. Yeah. I just wanted you to people to hear it because I think everyone's a little bit different, right? Right. We have some people in an organization that I mean that are up early doing everything mm-hmm. and it's cranking out other people. And later on, I, I was reading an article about the CEO of Spotify. Actually, I think I sent it to you. Um, and he was talking about, he's like, they're like, well, what does a day look like? He's like, well, in, in most entrepreneur magazines. He's like, this is going to sound very lazy, but I sleep until like six 30. I kind of hang out for a little while and I really don't get to work until like nine. Mm-hmm. And then he works out in the afternoon, like a couple days a week. And, and so everyone has like a different, a different mentality of how they operate. And for him, he operates, he starts turning on more in the afternoon. We've, if we've done like the animals before, like yes. dolphins and wolves and kind of where you are, right. I think it's also important. There's not a model that fits for everybody. Yes. There's a majority model that typically will fit more people. Right. However, it doesn't mean that you are not the anomaly or the outliers of this. And one of the things that um, that I think people need to realize is outliers make up a larger percentage than you think. Mm. Um, one of the things I was probably like eight, nine years ago, I had like this, this blood thing that was kind of going on. And you ever remember this? And I ended up getting tested like three or four times throughout the next couple of years because it was lower than what they wanted to in a certain thing. And they tested for like everything, which the first time they didn't even tell me they were testing for. And I got these results <laughs> back and I was like, they tested for like AIDS and like leukemia and all these things. And I was like reading it. And I was like, like 
petrified. Like I was like, why are they texting for these things? And they didn't tell me. He's like, I probably should have told you that. And I'm like, yeah, probably. But anyways, what he, what he ended up finding out with was just like, he's like, you actually just fall out of the range of the normal. I said, well, how, how far is the range? He's like, oh, about 20%. Mm. And so like if people, and, and this is the problem with, with, I'm not going to get into like a medicine, but like the problem medicine is if you don't fit within the bell curve of that, of that 80% kind of metric, then there's they, something's wrong, but it doesn't mean there's something wrong. It just means that you could, he's like, there's plenty of people that operate outside of that. And that's right. in this particular thing, it was like 20%. And I was like, well, that's a big number. That's one in five people. And I was like, so that's not just out of the, I, mean, I guess you call it out of the norm, but I think it goes. It's, it's important to know what your exactly. norm, normal is. Yes. And then yes. when you fall, when you start going outside of your own normal, whether it's your, from your health or mm -hmm. whatever, um, then I feel like then you start paying, have to pay attention to that. But yeah, everyone's different. Yes. And that's, that's exactly right. So yeah. you. Yeah. So anyway, then get to, get to the office start working start working um i actually really do enjoy this week in particular i've been getting here much earlier i i do operate better that way yeah most like people just, do. i mean it's just you're more vibrant yes but then i don't get a, you know i don't get to work and i don't maintain right so there's there's the trade-off which just means and i'm realizing this now that it just means i probably need to leave a little earlier mm -hmm. instead of also continuing to work until 5 30 yes. or 6 just leave earlier then i can get my workout in i could meditate yes um and then usually what i'll do in the evenings is get back online check some emails watch a little netflix actually that's not true i usually watch real housewives <laughs> um sometimes netflix yes. and yeah that's that's read well, I think it's about it. I think one of the things you said, you know, the comment on it's like, you know, I don't really have much of a life outside of work, but I think, um, I'd argue that your life is everything that you do, including work, right? Yeah, like it doesn't, yeah. like it doesn't, people don't have to have seven hobbies. And I think part of what, uh, I think that's a, a, I always a feel bad social, about it yes, yeah. I know. And that's yeah. why I'm trying to tell you that like, it's not need to be bad. I mean, I can think of a lot of people. I mean, just the big names, but then a lot of other people that I know that don't necessarily, I mean, they have different variations of their lives. I mean, Elon Musk was like a great example of somebody who wants nothing to do with anything out but work, mm -hmm. but work is his life. It's not work. Like we're right. just using that term and yeah. people are using it as it was of like an eight to five job when you punched out and you did something. Yeah, we're yeah. in a much different world now with missions and visions yes. of where people are going and what you're building and whether that's Steve Jobs or whether that's, you know, um, Jeff Bezos. I mean, those guys are just, you know, and, and just using examples, but like, or even anybody in the, you know, in the government, I mean, those guys, I mean, they're working hundred hour weeks. They're working. It doesn't matter what side you fall on. It's just, yeah. that's what they're doing. And, or sports players, it's the same thing. Those guys are, they're not on the road and going like, I've had too many Sundays of playing football. I'm going to go take a break. No, they're mm -hmm. just, they're constantly working because they love what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, and I even think about, you can bring in a really spiritual individual named Michael Singer, right? I just always go back to him. I mean, he was very, he's one of the most enlightened beings, if you will, that's here now. And he built a billion dollar company and he was and he talks about his work ethic was seven days a week. Like he just, mm -hmm. but he's like, it wasn't work. He was like, I was creating, yeah. I was building, I was just using this enthusiasm to build these things. And so I think people get lost in this, like, I need to separate everything. There's no separation. It's your life. Life is yeah, life. And that's just yeah. a part of it. Whether you're skiing or working, it's just part of it. I mean, it's yes, you can have different moments to different things. And I'm not saying any is right, any of it's right or wrong. Just, I think people have this fallacy of saying, it's wrong if I don't have something else in my life. That is wrong. When you're starting yeah. putting a limit on what you think you should do. Now, if there starts to become burnout or problems with that, then that's that's an issue. But everyone has a different burnout level, which mm -hmm. we've done classes on this yes. and, and conversations yeah. around it. Yeah. So it's just really about understanding where you want to go and what that looks like, and then just keep trying it on. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. And I mean, I do think the beauty of, of working here and probably not probably it is one of the reasons I've worked here for so long. And even though I left, I wanted to come back is because of that entire philosophy. Like I, I mean, I do feel like it's, I've been ruined by being, (laughs) being able to work anywhere else. I mean, unless it had almost an exact same culture of autonomy, freedom, the integration of between work and life and yeah, I know I, I kind of joke and always say I don't have a lot like stuff outside of work, but that's, it's not always true. Right. Like, you know, on the, it's not, the, it's not true. Yeah, yeah. I hang out with my family and my sisters yes. and kayak and kayak and, and sit on your deck date and, nights with yes, my husband. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. What you're saying is I don't have the stereotypical of what the, the image that most people have created of like, I don't have a lot of scheduled things. Yes, yeah. Which like, is great. I don't go to class. Here's my point. I was saying earlier with all the that's happened with the pandemic. I think one of the, the the natural things that you're seeing is the psychology shift and just even the home buying process. I mean, we're involved in a lot of real estate stuff right. from building to renovations to brokerage, right? And you're seeing the psychological shift of the actual home buyer or the homeowner. And what I mean by that is people used a house as a utilitarian pad for a long time. It was like a jump pad. It was like, I got seven things scheduled this week. And it's like, it's like a locker. It's like they put things there and they jumped over there. And what, when, what the pandemic did is it slowed everyone down. And then I think a lot of people realized like only one of those things that I did seven days a week actually matter. The rest of them, I was just saying yes to, because I felt like I needed to. Yeah. I was going to say, or even that you even enjoyed doing everything else. Exactly. These obligations, I felt like I was doing this and I'm like, well, and I guess I never have really taken that attitude, but, Me neither. but I, <laughs> like I can see how like yeah. people get caught in that. And like, right. they don't know how to stop it. Cause it's like, if you stop it, then what are people going to think? And this gave them that excuse to go, I don't want to get back in there. And so you're now seeing people go, okay, well, I don't want to do that. So I actually enjoy being a home. So I want to renovate my space. I want to put a pool and pool is one of the biggest things that are going in right now. Yeah. It's like, I want to pull the hot tub. tub. I just to say, can't yeah. get one like for a year. Yeah. All, right all, of the, all of those things. So people are putting those things in. I mean, trampolines have been on like the run, right? Just because mm-hmm. people are like, I'm at home enjoying it. And then you can actually be with your family, be with your kids or be with just yourself. It doesn't have to be anything. Mm-hmm. And so I think the psychological aspect is changing of that perspective that I don't need to do all of those things um, that I said I do. So that's a long winded conversation around um, my daily schedule, my daily schedule. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So what else have you learned? Oh gosh, there's so much. Um, Well, we, we taking time to rest and recharge, Mm -hmm. which is actually almost counterintuitive what we were just talking about, but yet that's also been a big lesson that I am not a robot and maybe someday I'll have one working for me <laughs> and with me, but I am not that. And so that it is important to, and everyone's rest and recharge is different. Yes, and that's a, the key. Again, what's the norm? Some people's norm is two week vacations a year. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, I don't even really know what the, like the annual, like the average know, norm yeah. is, whatever, yeah. but there probably is one and whatever yeah. it is, I don't necessarily feel like I fall in that. I, I like to have an afternoon off every once in a while. And I have a couple of great vacations a year and that's great. I don't need the rest every single day necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I think that's just knowing what it is for you, but then also making sure that you take it. I also think it's important that, and you and I've chatted about this a lot, but in making sure that you have your rest and recharge daily, like it doesn't have yes. to, as long as you, if you, it's almost like if you're maintaining your vehicle, then, you know, you're maintaining your vehicle. You don't have to really put in the shop for a while. Right. And, and so what I mean by that, it's not like you're taking hours of breaks, but it's like, could you get your 10 minute meditation in there? Did you get like a right. walk around the development? Did you, you know, did you do a journaling exercise? Did you exercise for 30 minutes? We're not saying you got to go run an Ironman, which you should, but like, you do, you don't have to, but like there's, there's a lot of recharges that you can put into play. And one of the things that I've seen recently is people have gotten so busy and productive with just 
life that they're starting to slip back into old habits. And so mm-hmm. I've been reinforcing a lot of people in our organization of like, you need to get back in your meditations. You slipped on those. Where happened? What's going on when you're running over here? I know this, if what's it ever important to somebody bringing that back to it of grounding them and not getting caught in thinking that you need to keep up because somebody else is keeping up to keep up with them. Do you consider, because I actually never thought of this. I don't necessarily consider another activity rest and recharge, but you well, absolutely it is. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I don't like that to me is another, another thing on my to-do list that I need to check off. That's not a restful or recharging for me. You don't think exercise is a recharge? Uh, It could be an energy reset. Yes. But it depends on, yeah. But is it rest for, I think that goes back to everyone's different. Yeah. Um, no, for me, that's another, that's another thing on my to-do list. It needs to be checked off. Yeah. That's not a restful activity. I I guess, I mean, I don't enjoy exercise. I enjoy the feeling that I get from exercise. So it is a, it is a checklist item for me that I need to get off and I don't Mm -hmm. do in the morning. Like there's such a pull that it's hard for me to do the rest of my day. And so I always need to get that done first, but I also recharging myself when I'm doing that. Like I'm, I'm listening to audible books or podcasts a lot right now. Like just whatever that is, I'm just, I'm in there and that's a, that's a recharge for me in the morning or energy shift. It's mm-hmm. setting up the day mm-hmm. and it's just very healthy for you. It's an activity. Yes. Like I don't, for me, rest is not just sitting there unless I'm meditating. Um, it, it could yeah, be, not necessarily. It isn't for me either. What it is for me is a non work activity where my mind is not going. Yeah. I think so it's a good way. Sometimes exercise yeah. could, could be that a walk, kayaking, being out in nature, um, being unplugged and away from devices. For me, that is a hundred percent what rest and recharge means. It's not listening to another audible. I do that all day. You know, it's got to, it's something that takes me away from all of those things. And, um, I, which I don't do very often. Um, honestly, probably resting and recharging is not even watching Netflix. Like it's gotta be, it's gotta be like unplugged. Yeah. But I think everyone's different. Yeah, they are. And that's where you got to find yours. Yeah. What else? Oh, um, well, we, I mean, we talked about leadership already, but I do think leadership and then particularly self-leadership, which I'm working on right now, um, gives you a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely something that I've learned over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, asking for what you want and need Mm -hmm. is an important thing. Yes, it is. And being okay with it. Being okay with and letting go of the outcome. Yes, exactly. (laughs) What do you mean about, um. Being well, being okay, okay I think a lot of people don't want to ask for something because they're afraid um, that they could feel like they're trying to ask for too much or that it's um, that it's not their boundary to ask for these things. But uh, for some reason, I think some people, other people have no problem at all. Like some of those yeah, people some just, people just like, it's like, wham, it's like want. there and there's like, there it is. And it's like, they're yeah. like, okay, let's see if it comes to this. I think just, I think the convert, the conversation comes around is, can I, am I willing to have, just have radical conversations about anything? about anything that is coming up or that, that I have a, a thought about that's, if there's something that's occupying your cognitive space, that's preventing you from doing your job, you should be able to have that conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing is How just being able to clear that. How do you get to that space though? Well, it's trust. Yeah. It's the relationship. Um, and you can get there fast with people. I, I don't think you can't, I think, I, I don't think you have to have 10 years. I think you can, you, I think you could look at some of the principles that we've applied over 10 years and pull all that in the first 90 days and actually get there really fast with people. And one of the things is when you make hires or you have certain people start acting a little bit differently around that, like meaning like be open, like, you know, be, be willing to be vulnerable, right? If you want to use that word around other people of like, Hey, you know, I don't really know that. Or, um, yeah, I made a mistake for there. And just it, what you'll do is you'll soften the room. And as you soften the room, what you're doing is you're actually making room for everybody else to start sharing 
their vulnerabilities or what's on their mind, knowing that they're not going to get ridiculed from it or fired or whatever that is. And people can speak it, but what it, what it naturally does, it's not, it's not like a soapbox, but what it does is it opens people up to go, I can have that conversation. So they don't need to think about it, about how am I going to have this conversation? Mm-hmm. What are they going to say? You just more go into it and have the conversation it's done. So then everyone gets back to having more clarity and a larger perspective on what actually needs to happen in the organization. If there is something that you could give advice to, um, from a, to like a executive assistant or chief of staff starting out, what would that be? And then also if you're giving it to an executive, whether they're a CEO or an owner or manager, what would that advice be? Oh, there's a lot of advice for the assistants, chiefs of staff. Um, the one that comes to mind, uh, right away is inviting yourself to the table because I don't believe in sitting around waiting for somebody to hand you an opportunity or necessarily invite you into the conversation. You have to sometimes insert yourself into the conversation. Um, I feel like I did that Mm -hmm. in the beginning in multiple ways. um, And I think that it paid off over, over time. Um, I think it's a hard, it's a hard thing to do, but um, if I could give any advice, it is that like, just, you know, their schedule, you know, what meetings are happening, you know, what, is happening in the company. You know what books are being read. You know what conversations are being had. Invite yourself and just insert yourself into those conversations. Um, put yourself in the meeting. Um, ask for forgiveness, not permission. In yeah. that in that regard, yeah. that's what I would say. Yeah, I love that. What about for the executive? Oh, um, that's a harder one. How about you? Get, how about you answer that one? Well, I want to. I want you to answer <laughs> from your side. Just what advice would you give to them? Um, you give me advice all the time. So I mean, it's just what advice would I give? Have I hadn't thought about that? That a leader would give to? Oh, that what am I? Or what just am I saying that you would give to a leader, that new leader that's starting out? Yeah. Um, how do they become a better leader? Yeah, I think for yeah, I mean, it's communication. It, it's a little, It's the stuff that we just talked about. Um, it's having the open, honest conversations. It is. You feel like people think that they communicate, yeah, but of they really don't. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, that's what I, we're I think I'm the best communicator, <laughs> but I fail at that all the time. Yeah. I think we're experiencing that a little bit right now. And I think people think that they're doing an overabundance of communication or that they're very clear in the reality is there's not. Right. And, and they actually, that prevents them that, that line of thinking actually gets them in their own way and actually blocks part of a company. Yes. Okay. So actually I have, I have a better one that I would actually give leaders. I, you know, I had sometimes I need a second to think. Um, but, uh, I would say hire people who are better than you. Yeah. That is definitely one that I've learned over the years. Um, I think you've always been pretty good at that, Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of leaders aren't. Um, and so that's the advice that I would give is make sure that you're hiring people who are better than you. Yeah. And really the way you know that is that if you are sitting in a room with somebody you're about to hire and they scare you, like, wow, mm-hmm. this person could like take over my job or my life or just be like intimidated by some degree, even if they're not even in your world. Yeah. You're like, mm, this person yeah, is like this, very intelligent. That's always one for me. presence for it. Like yeah. they just, they, they command the room. Like they yes. just, whether they're, they're a sales commanding or just a presence commanding, like they just, they, they show up differently. Yes. It's like when, when it's like you look at people, they look the same, but it's like, how does somebody come in to a room and is hired at a million dollars or $2 million or $6 million into a, you know, companies, the way they show up, mm-hmm. they have this experience, but showing up in a certain way. And so when you, when you actually interview a lot of people and you start getting in those worlds, you start to see these people showing up completely different. You go like, wow, that person just 
owns it. Like I don't have to, I'm not going to have to tell them what to do. They just yeah. own the their role. And that's what you, whatever the role is, whether it's HR, whether it's a president, yeah. whether it's a, you know, your marketing, whether it's lead generation, they're just owning their role in whatever they're doing. And that's mm-hmm. the specific characteristic that you're looking for. Cause then they're going to take ownership of that and they're going to run with it. Correct. And then you give them the rope to run. Yes. Yes. So wrapping it up, um, what, any advice you would give to people or, I just um, gave two pieces. I know, like more. maybe uh, you have a whole list there that I thought maybe you want to share <laughs> I know. something I'm else. I'm going to put it all put it all on the blog. Actually, I, I know it's, um, it's going to be great. But uh, yeah, I think some of the questions that we always get the most, at least I do, from force multipliers, are and maybe this is a question you could answer uh, around, um, and it's always so disheartening to hear that they have there's the lack of leadership mm-hmm. in their organizations. And I mean, we can, we're talking Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm to Mm -hmm. small businesses, to working entrepreneurs. I just, now believe me, my first go-to with them is, well, what are you doing Mm -hmm. to make sure that you are owning it, leading up, being a better leader, being a better communicator? We always go there first. But at the end of the day, it's, is the leader doing the same things? Um, And so it's not necessarily advice, it's maybe more of a question. Where, like, how do we collectively through our founder and force multiplier brand and through our coaching and training company, continue to help. I mean, that's really what we do, right? Mm -hmm. We we continue to help build leaders so that when these force multipliers can work with and can partner with these really amazing leaders and have 10 year partnerships or 20 year partnerships or whatever that looks like, that wasn't really an, that wasn't really advice. That was, that was more of, that's what I feel like we're passionate about and, um, and what our companies are, are all about. Well, I mean, I think, I think that's really the key is that, um, the partnership, the relationship lasts for 10 years or longer when you both are committed to a leadership journey, which again, you know, business meets spirituality, personal growth through business success. You could even just call it life. It's in spirituality because it's just all intertwined together. Whereas when you're on a journey with any one of your employees or your employees with the founders or employees with your managers or leaders, it doesn't even matter the relationship of the title or the equity contribution. But when you want to go back to Ray Dalio's quote of like partnering people for life, you partner people for life that are constantly where you're both coming into the relationship to grow. Mm-hmm. And you're not both coming into a relationship to get something from something. Right. You're actually coming into a relationship to contribute, to grow, knowing that you're going to make mistakes, but you both know, or your team knows that you're all there moving in the right direction, rowing in the right direction. And that creates the relationship that lasts for decades. It's been a wonderful 10 years and lots of 10 years and we get emails and questions and calls and, um, you know, we can't handle all of them one-on-one. So we have developed a course. Um, for Founder Force Multiplier, we have the book. Another book will come out soon, creating some SaaS for this all. But what else are we doing? Where can people get more information about this 10-year kind of milestone and all the things that you learned and that we've learned together with it? Yeah, so we are doing another round of our Founder and Force Multiplier live course starting November 4th. It's a four-week course. Um, if you've taken it before, you should take it again because yes. we always bring different things to the table this time around. Um, we're, we are going to be sharing a little bit more about what we've specifically learned over the past 10 years, um, as well as some leadership tips on how the founder or leader and force multiplier collectively can lead together during times of uncertainty, which is what we're all experiencing right now. So um, go to adamhergenrother.com events to sign up and it starts on November 4th.